Welcome to Life, L-I-F-E, Luxury in Full Effect. I'm David Frangioni. I'm here with Justin Lee. And this is the show where we interview the people operating at the top of the luxury market. From entertainment, real estate, celebrity industries, and everything in between. Together, we'll hear their life stories and how they got to where they are today. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Life, L-I-F-E, Luxury in Full Effect. I'm David Frangioni here with my partner in crime. He's back. I'm back and uh, looking forward to another great episode of Life. David, I'm going to have you do the intro with this incredible architect that we have uh, on the show today. Well, it's very exciting. We have today Dan Brun from Dan Brun Architecture. He's a native of Tel Aviv, Israel. He came to America started his firm here, and has done some amazing things. And it's an honor to have Dan on the show. Dan, welcome. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. Thank you for having me. So take us back. You're a native of Tel Aviv. Let's start in Tel Aviv. Let's get to the root of when you found this passion for architecture, when you realized that, how you started to manifest it, and then journeyed over to America. Let's take the beginning here. What happened? So it actually... um started for me as a really young kid, around seven years old, I think, six years old. My grandpa would come from Germany and bring me different types of Legos. And I kind of became known as like the mayor of Legos in my community. <laughs> and I started to just reimagine what you could do with them, right? So I would build whatever's on instructions and then I would build whatever was on my mind. And at that point, I was building like more like cities and weird things, something that you would see like in a Stanley Kubrick film or something. And like Blade Runner. And then my family actually uprooted me when I was in second grade to come to the States. And it was mid-80s. And I was in for a real big shock because growing up in, in Tel Aviv, I don't know if you guys are aware, but it's a UNESCO World Heritage Site known as the White City. And it has the most amount and abundance of a Bauhaus international style architecture. And so all of a sudden, you know, I came from my house in Tel Aviv, which would have open plan, floor-to-ceiling windows, terrazzo floors, a lot of great light. And all of a sudden, I'm in this fake Spanish-style colonial who-knows-what house in Los Angeles made out of paper mache without any light, and I was dumbfounded. And that's kind of, I think, what really inspired me to do all this. At that age? Yeah, at that age. I kind of knew, you know, and I I was really drawn towards it. and And I was drawn towards how architecture actually influences people. And Actually, I could pinpoint the time. It was coming to the States and my aunt who lived in New York took me to the Guggenheim in the city. And I was mesmerized by that building and just the way that I felt being in that building. And ever since then, I think I kind of started to touch things and drive my mom crazy by just continually having my hands on everything. What's amazing is you mentioned when you were in California and you go there at that age, you mentioned light. And, and mm-hmm. the lack of it from your perspective at that time and how much that impacted you. Because we'll get a little further into your career. We'll get to the, your focus and, and your passion towards natural light and how it forms yeah. so the foundation of your projects. But here we are early on in, at such an influential age, and you mentioned light. So what was, what, what was it about light then even that, was, that factored into your interest and vision? Yeah, I mean, I I felt claustrophobic all of a sudden. I felt like, why do I need to walk into a room and constantly turn on the lights? 
Well, with the houses that I grew up in Israel, you, you, you didn't need to do that. And by the way, we were very energy conscious too. So you didn't think about turning on lights. You were very smart about doing that because energy was rare and expensive. And so what was stunning to me was that overall, it's on the same latitude as Tel Aviv is, LA. And we have about the same temperament of the weather. It's a little bit more humid in, in Tel Aviv. But you should be able to have the same amount of natural light in a home and anywhere you occupy. And it felt like I didn't have that. And I guess it really hit me. And it was interesting. Obviously, you know, people call it sunny California, but it's sunny on the outdoors and not sunny on a lot of the homes indoors. And that's, I think I felt it. I think I really connected to that. Well, clearly. And, and what's really amazing to me, and, I've, and Justin, you and I have seen this time and time again when we talk to really accomplished architects they all seem to have had the calling, the common, if there's one common denominator, <laughs> yeah, so for sure. Differences, yeah. but the one common denominator, they all had the calling at an extraordinarily young age. I haven't, we haven't talked to, and I haven't personally met one that was past the age of 12. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And it's so interesting because nobody has just, nobody fell into being an architect. And the way that you opened up, Dan, with um, the Lego, I mean, that is just, I mean, it's incredible because that is really sort of like a foundation that shows you what you want to do. And it's so interesting to hear yeah. for, you know, for other kids as well. And people that are listening to this with also parents that have kids that play Lego, like take it seriously. It yeah. really has a strong interest in it. I mean, and it's incredible because Lego is, I know with my son, who's eight years old, there's Lego robotics classes in school. I mean, this is, I think there's so many outlets right now that kids can explore these talents that they have. But I think I as well, what I want to talk about, not to jump around, but I just think, and your stuff is so beautiful and so gorgeous. And it's unbelievable because I always walk around, you know, we see the houses here that we have in LA and I'm in LA as well and um, in real uh -huh. estate. And it's, it baffles me of how clever the homes are being built today, as opposed to how they used to be built even 25 years Ten ago years. Yeah, yeah. Is that it's just astounding how we've had this huge explosion of new construction which you obviously know and you're on the forefront of and your designs and are are you know implemented into these homes that you built and your commercial spaces as well but it's unbelievable how the living aspect of doing such clever real estate and the clever things that you can do with lighting and where to position the rooms yeah. and how to position the rooms. I mean, and my favorite thing as well, which I am always astounded by is I think I, I have a really kind of good gauge of square footage. Like when you walk in, I say, yeah, I feel this oh, is yeah. like 4,000, 5,000 square feet, but what you are able to do today and what architects are able to do is you walk into a house and I'm like, yeah, this feels like around five, 6,000 square feet. And they're like, it's under 4,000 square feet. To me, that is the most brilliant achievement yes. with um, architecture. I agree. So and tell you know, me about uh, that process. Yeah. Tell me about where, you know, about the living and making, doing those clever tricks. I want to hear like from your yeah. mind, these incredible tricks that you do. I'll actually go back a little bit, you know, cause you talked about passion and kids and you know what to do, you know? So the interesting thing is, yeah, I knew when I was seven years old, what I wanted to do at the same time, I'll go back and my mom vividly remembers this. I walked up to her before moving to the States. And I told her, when I grow up, I'm going to be a singer, but in English. Music is still 
very, very, very dear to me and very important. And uh, I'll, I'll, we could get into that a little bit later, but I mesh the two together all the time. One of the things that I do want to change in perception of uh, real estate, not necessarily in perception of architecture, but perception of real estate is one thing I'm trying to erase is the notion of dollars per square foot, because mm-hmm. I don't believe that is the right way to value uh, in the way that I... thousand percent, yes. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, and it's it, it's proliferated Los Angeles, and unfortunately, a lot of inexperienced realtors are pushing that envelope further. You know, it's like, well, this is only five thousand, and you could build smaller and, and and better. So, one of the things that I'm doing is we're working on a project, and this is a home that I'm building for myself. It's called uh, Bridge House, and if you want to check it out, go to bridgehousela.com or on Instagram at bridgehouseLA. But it's it's a house that's literally rethinking what a suburban development would be. And what I want people to realize is to not think about the square footage and to not take that into consideration. And one of the ways that I I kind of say it is, let's say you buy a new iPhone, you know the screen size of it and you know the storage size. And that would be like saying to an architect or to your real estate agent, I need a two-bedroom house or I need a three-bedroom house with how many bathrooms, right? That's the Mm -hmm. specifications. You don't know uh, the megahertz of the processor. You don't know how much RAM is in there. You don't actually know the size of the battery, even though you know the battery lasts, you know, eight to 12 hours, whatever it is. So that's mm-hmm. what I'm trying to say with the same thing should be for domestic design, you know, for residential design. So you should just think about, okay, do I need a three bedroom house? Yes. Do I need a, you know, a kitchen of this? Blah, blah, blah? Yes. But do I actually care if it feels 45, if it is 4,500 or if it's 4,000 or if it's 5,000? Who cares? I mean, if you can get it done with less with less square footage, you know what? You're winning because then you have more garden. So why isn't that ever considered? And it's it's something that really needs to be thought of. And, and at Bridge House, what I've done is kind of... I'm taking a stance and I'm saying that the living spaces, meaning like the, the den, the living room, the kitchen, all of those kind of spaces are larger. And then I'm making the bedrooms smaller than a typical American home. By doing that, I'm kind of saying, hey, you know what? You go into the bedroom, you're going to spend time there for sleeping, maybe changing clothes, and then go into either the outdoors, because we are in LA, or you have all these living room, you have all these other spaces. And so you could save a lot of square footage by being smart about that. There's no need for a sitting room and a fireplace and a, you know, it gets success. I love that you're saying that. And I love that you're doing that because it is, it is, I mean, listen, people get caught up and you know what the problem is, is that because it's become such this square footage thing is that the buyers and the sellers have gotten kind of caught up in that. And it's really kind of sucks because it's how you have to price it out. I mean, yep. it's, they're going to go per square foot. And listen, I break records all the time and I'm proud of that because I feel that I have a very specific way that I show my homes and I have a very specific way that I quietly market them. I do things very, you know, more on a quiet level. And I really do believe with one of the houses in particular that I'm thinking about that I have is it's all about, it's not about the square footage. It's about living in the house and explaining how you have to kind of paint the picture to the buyer of how they're going to live in this house and where they're going to spend their time. And I just, I'm really so, I mean, I'm so excited to talk to you today about it because I really feel it's like kind of the brains of this movement that's happening. And it's still, I get so baffled about. Yeah. And I'm excited to hear that too, because I think it's vital. And you know, one of the issues that we have is, yeah, you and I are thinking the same thing and we have to educate the buyers. But then there's also another issue and that is the bank. And the bank will look at things and just say, oh, well, I have to give it a comp. I have to do this. I have to do that. 
And mm-hmm. unfortunately, they're discrediting quality of design. That's and right. so that they, I, I remember one of the first projects I ever completed was a house in uh, Beverly Hills. Yeah. And the appraiser came in afterwards and he gave us a price. And I'm like, you know what? Go find me a house like this of that quality and this yeah. price range. I'll buy them all. Yes. Because, you know, they didn't, they didn't count. We didn't have a, a crown molding. We didn't have, you know, all these useless features. But to count for, you know, let's go talk about light again. You know, we had floor to ceiling windows, floor to ceiling glass lighting doors, which are like 14 feet tall. That's not cheap. That goes uncredited by a lot it's, of people. It's archaic um, the way... No, it's, you're absolutely right. It's archaic the way that they do it. I see that, I see that yeah. all the time. The, the, if, if, we, if any of us could buy for even 10% over the appraisals, we'd be stealing homes... Yeah. At the prices yes. all day long. I mean, oh. they're not even they're not even close. Yeah, Imagine I make sure not even an appraisal and still stealing the house. I mean, that's yeah. just insane. It's insane. No, and I make sure. By the way, like I, that issue that you brought up is it's great because it's an archaic system. But I make sure that I am there when the appraiser comes, and I make sure. Like I just literally did this two weeks ago, and I wouldn't let the appraiser go to any other room until I was finished telling them about every single square inch of what was done to this house because you have to, otherwise they don't know. And it is so important for that. And then exactly as you said, you know, the the windows, like they're worried about the crown molding and they're worried about all these old, you know, school things that mean nothing, but you have floor to ceiling windows and natural light that comes in that you've measured the time of day and the sun is exactly here and you've framed a window to a view mm-hmm. and all these mm-hmm. things that come in. Yeah. yeah. Or if you start, start talking about the construction behind it and, you know, the steel and the moment frames and this and that, you know, it, it, there's a lot and they're not considering it. And it's, um, it's problematic, but I'm, I'm, I'm happy to hear that there's other people that are uh, pushing the same boundaries as we are. And I can tell you that, one of my favorite things to design is actually smaller homes. Like if you, if you give me a client that, you know, we have to fill in all this stuff in a 2,500 square foot home, that's going to be three bedrooms with a nanny suite with a, this and that, you know, that's, that's to me is exciting. Versus are you when, all about, you know, all about blending the outdoor, the indoors and the outdoors, the indoor outdoor absolutely. living in Los Angeles. Yeah. 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 And you know, so actually a, a great point is that uh, at bridge house, there is in the middle of the house because it is a bridge, right? So the house is 210 feet long. In the middle of it, there's a span of 65 feet over an ex- existing ravine, and there's an outdoor living room. That outdoor living room, guess what? Does not count towards the square footage of the house, wow. but it's built just like the rest of the house. So, sure. how is that going to go? But it's, it's to me, it's more valuable than having an indoor second living room. It's, it's that it's, indoor no, outdoor relationship. And you, it looks so cool. But I'm, as I'm talking to you, by the way, I've got the video going from the website. Oh, cool. And I, where is that by the way? It's in Hancock park, just South of uh, Hancock park in an area called Brookside actually. Wow. Amazing. I yeah. mean, and it's almost done. We're, we're ready to, uh, it's going to be done by uh, August, September. I need an invitation to have a walkthrough, please. Definitely. (laughs) I'm I'm very excited about that. So I have another question for you. How do you feel about, you know, especially because, you know, I I kind of focus on, I'm in Beverly Hills and Bel Air and Homeby Hills and stuff. How do you feel about the restrictions on new build sizes per lot? Like, how do you, how, how do you feel about that? There's a lot of inherent issues. I'm happy. There's not a lot of, uh, design review boards yet in Los Angeles and, uh, and preservation ordinances yet. 
But a lot of these sizing ordinances don't actually make sense in a certain degree. I agree about the square footage. Okay, we shouldn't be building so much. And it's going to help the bottom line of what we're talking about, you know, a quality square footage. But then there are stupid rules that talk about like, oh, if it's 50 feet long, you need a five foot setback and et cetera. So a project like Bridge House wouldn't be feasible. And even though it's, they're not taking into consideration the fact that let's say Bridge House is a one story building and it's built out of cedar siding on the outside and it's blending into the exterior, nobody's taking that into consideration. All they're taking is massing. And unfortunately, overall, we've had a lot of really bad taste and a lot of really, really, really greedy developers in LA. And so that's proliferated the sizing. And it's it's come back full circle to what we talked at the beginning about the dollars per square footage, right? So if if a developer knows that he could build more and make more money on it, that's going to continue. So what I believe is instead of regulation on these things, we need education. Yes. So people need to understand that that they'll feel better about their home and they're better about the design if they actually have a better quality product. And they shouldn't feel like, oh, well, now uh, now that through, through the government restricting our size of the home, we have a lesser home. That's not the case. So yeah. we need to educate people. And with Bridge House, for example, I'm going to have like out, you know, I'm going to have tours and things like that. And people are going to get invitations. So I want them to see a house. Let's put it this way. If we're going to go back to square footage, I think the house allows for about 10,000 square foot on that lot. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, and we built 4,500. Wow. You know, we built less than, yeah. And I want to show that, look, this is going to make a better home. You can do that. Exactly. No, listen, it, it's, I mean, you're absolutely on par. You know, I have a client right now. I've got a house that that they're building. They've been building it for themselves for the past four years. It's a $25 million project. And um, it's up wow. in a gated community. Yeah, in a gate. And that's the cost of it. It's up in a gated community in Beverly Hills. And she's building the house now. And she's been building it for four years. And four years is a long time for her first house that she's building. And she's changed her mind. She has decided that, you know, for her and her family and her kids, she's like, you know what? It's almost 13,000 square foot house. She goes, I don't want that anymore. I want a 6,000 square foot house. I don't need all that house. And here's the thing though, when the house is built correctly and the house is built thoughtfully and tastefully, you don't need all you there. The square footage is very well spent. Let's say, when it's really, really thought out and you don't need these Mm -hmm. massive rooms that don't. And I love the fact that you say the smaller bedrooms, because I really believe I love for homes. I love a nice size bed, not a massive bedroom, but a nice size bedroom, because I don't believe you should have anything else in the bedroom except for the bed, the television on the wall. And I like personally a little sofa area kind of thing. So you have that. But that's it. And then everything else, you know, you don't have a desk in your room. You don't, we, I don't do any of that stuff. And I love the fact, nope. you know, old school where Paul Williams used to always have, like always off of the master, like a little, most of the time you would have a little sitting room off of the master. So it's almost like your little suite that's separate from the bedroom. But you have mm-hmm. you, the opera, you know, you've got a little sofa in there, a little television, you know, a little wet bar, you know, kind of thing where it's separate, where the square footage is very cleverly spread out throughout the house. Integrated. Yeah. There's a handful of architectures, you know, architects that, you know, in, in the old day that did things cleverly, but still not like today. 
you come across some of the great, you know, Frank Lloyd Wright did some great cool stuff in his very positioning. And, you know, Paul Williams did you know very classic from the Beverly Hills Hotel to all the homes, you know, around the area. But it's still not the clever homes and thoughtful homes that are being built right. today, like people like you that actually really are thinking about living in the house. They're not just they're erecting a house with three bedrooms and two bathrooms and not thinking about the positioning in the windows and where it is. I mean, it just, it's such an exciting time because I, I'm so excited to see where this is going to go because I'm sure in your mind, you've got things like, especially like the bridge house, which are such innovative ideas. I mean, I feel like your bridge house, you could build 50 of them up in Topanga Canyon and everyone would go crazy about it. I think but, so. And, and, you know, I, I'm, I mean, I'm totally with you. And, but I, I'm also saying, I think we need to step it up. Okay. So yeah. I agree. There's a lot of good things going on, but my take on it is to kind of take what was happening during the case study movement mm-hmm. in the early mid-century and to say, hey guys, we need to pause. We need to really think about this because a lot of the crap that we're building right now is absolutely, as I said, it's crap. So yeah, there might be some things that are thoughtful, but I, my my thing with the bridge house is kind of a challenge also to other architects and to kind of to say, hey, pause. I get it. People are accepting all these commissions from these developers to build these mega mansions, but and they're making a good amount of money doing it. But hey, is this really what we should be doing in this city? And and I, I think people need to think about this. And my yeah. my take on it is I want to show developers that it's feasible to build smart and you could still, you can make an amazing project out of that. And, uh, I want to show that I I want people to understand that, you know? And so at bridge house, one of the things that's really neat is the fact that there is no front yard, there is no rear yard, you know, it's all one yard. It's all connected, inter interwoven into one space. It's yeah. So the whole, no matter where you are and all the rooms have a connection to the landscape. And so I think that taking the site into consideration is something that needs to be more embraced. And, and I say this knowing the fact that, you know, I'm working on some other houses right now too, that I wish, I wish my clients would understand it as much, you know, and they're, you know, they hire us for a certain reason, but then sometimes they kind of discount us, you know, like, Hey, we should do this. And, uh, and then they start to think about dollars per square foot. And they start to think about what will the bank say? What will my friends say? So one of the things that I think is really weird about design in general in LA for residential stuff is that people still try to show off big time. And it hasn't become yet that architecture is the show off moment. It's still more features are the show off moment. And that's the inherent problem, right? So if you could tell somebody, oh, I have a water feature that does this. I have gold hardware that does this. The same, the same conversation about the crown molding. So it hasn't become yet, oh, well, you know, guess what? I have a blah, 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 architect's home. That is not proliferated yet. And I wish that people would understand that an architect could give you that. I mean, I literally had a a client say, after looking at a a concept design, like, hey, we like this, but it's a little too much forward thinking. And I'm not sure what my neighbors, (laughs) what my friends will think. Oh God! It's just like oh, yeah. that's yeah, that's just heartening. That's just yeah, no, fun. it's tough. I mean, people know it. Listen, it's getting those few couple people that take that chance and they do it. So I have another question as well involves what David's uh, Audio One does and yeah. sort of like your 
How much of the process do you think about that as an architect integrating the AV? Or is this when you, you say, here's the house, David, come in, you do like, how, what's your specific process? How does it work? Yes. So it goes back full circle. And I'm so glad you're talking about this because it goes back full circle to my, my passion for music. So when I was working also for another architect, I remember at one point he told me, he's like, you need to choose your passion. You need to quit this band thing and you need to go in and do architecture full time. And I was like, that's complete bullshit. I had my studio space with my friends and we were jamming and we were performing and that was amazing. And I needed that as an outlet. So then let's forward to, to today. And so I've always been like kind of like a geek nerd, you know, like I know my tech, I know my stuff. And so a lot of the home integrators and home automation guys actually don't really like me because I think they want to go in there and just scatter a bunch of products and make us make a bunch of money on kickbacks from all the products. And I'm like, Hey, you kind of don't need that. Or you kind of do need that. And why didn't you think of that? So I don't let it be chance. So design of the home entertainment is uh, I really think about that from day one. And one of the one of the things for me is not to have technology be obtrusive, but to help. So I don't like to see like iPads on the wall. I don't want to see any of this stuff. Because mm-hmm. that's the first thing you see in a home and you're like, oh, that was a 1990s you know, thing. Oh, yeah. Anyways, but going back to Bridge House, we're actually working yeah. with a bunch of sponsors. And one of them is uh, Yamaha, who I've had a deep relationship to for years. And so they're, we're, we get to work with their team. And so we have a, a company called One Button, who is actually doing all the install. And what they do is they are kind of, as the name says it, and it goes to my ethos, right? So that you don't see the, the, the technology, but it's there for you to work. And so so like voice activated? Uh, no, not even. I mean, it will be just literally like one button that does the simple task that's programmed to do it. And you know how to do it. But you can... You can do the voice stuff too, but I, I don't think it's quite comfortable to talk yet. I, I don't find it natural. But the audio in the house goes back to um, what I talk a lot about in architecture is uh, choreography of space mm-hmm. and the motion through space and uh, light. And all of those things have to do with rhythm and all those things have to do with music. And so when, you're, when I'm designing a space, I, I really take that into consideration. It goes back to the Guggenheim in New York and how you enter it in a low space and then you expand and it grows and you get the light and it's kind of like a crescendo of music. And yeah. at Bridge House, we, we kind of are trying to work that too. And somebody asked me, did you try to write a theme song for the house or something? I'm like, ah, I don't know if you could do that, but it's going to be interesting. Not a bad idea. We, you could, you could, could have it on, yeah. on hold on the phones and stuff. Yeah. Now, Dan, let's back up for a second because you've had quite an education, not only experientially, through all of the designs that you've that you've created, but an actual formal education, going to USC and then mm. Harvard, how's that factored into what you've been able to accomplish? And and how have you balanced the formal side of things, which you know some people are they claim stifles your creativity and you know blah 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 to conform. Yeah. Other people say without the balance of formal education and actual creative experience, you can't fully realize what's in your mind. So what's, what do you have to say about that, given that you've really done both? Yeah, this is a good question, actually. And uh, it's something that hopefully, like, let's say a young, uh, adventurous person who wants to get into the world of design or anything, I'll, I'll, you could take heed and listen to this. So basically, I think, okay, uh, at USC, what I, what I really learned was I, I was fortunate enough to have an instructor that 
inspired the shit out of me right from the get-go. And at USC, I did a five-year undergraduate degree of architecture. And what he taught me actually was, this was really funny. I was, I finished up my first year semester and I was feeling really cocky and I was like, oh, look at me, I'm done. I'm done early, guys. Yeah. I was always a really fast worker. Well, he came into that studio that night because he was doing a review for the upper division classes. And he came down, he's like, well, guess what? Now that you're done, I want you to come up with like a new scheme by tomorrow, blah, 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 blah. What that taught me was, first of all, that I'm capable of doing it, which was amazing that, you know, at the time everybody laughed like, aha, now you're stuck doing this. So that's number one. Number two, it taught me how to let go. And it taught me how to say, okay, well, what I've created and I've held so dear might not be that great. And I can let it go and I can move on and something else will come up. And I could always use that for something else. So I didn't, I didn't lose anything. It's just something else in the bank. And that probably is one of the best skills that I got at USC. And then during school, I worked and I would say that that was the best thing that I had done. So I had a lot of practical training. I worked at a small office for many years and I got to put, be put in the field and really pick up all the skills that needed to become an actual practical practicing architect. Then I wanted to expand my mind a little bit more and I wanted to go back to grad school. Ended up going to Harvard, and it was a two-year architecture degree, master's in architecture. And there was actually very interesting because at that point, I already had a lot of experience in design and a lot of experience in working. And so I was actually kind of able to take it easy while in school. That meant that I was able to devote more time to extracurricular things. And so I did more music, and I did. I took like an art class and did like sculpture. I took uh, language lessons. I did everything uh, outside of the school, actually. And it opened up the world. Uh, Harvard ob- obviously gives you credibility, right? Also, I met a lot of very interesting people while I was there, which is amazing. And then I ended up back in LA. It's interesting that you, USC had the inspirational mentor and Harvard gave you the opportunity to do other things. Yeah, I know, right? I mean, it's all... Uh, look, I, I also had one really incredible mentor at... Uh, at Harvard as well, that made me feel, could put me in an uncomfortable situation in design, which is great. And I think everybody needs that. You know, you need to, you need to push yourself. You need to take on something that you feel like you can't do. Like I remember actually the first beach house we got commissioned to do, all of a sudden I'm looking at the plans. I'm like, I don't know what the first person to even talk to is because there's coastal commission, neighborhood council, planning department, building department, all these layers. And I'm like, Oh, what am I doing? And I was 27 years old. Wow. And just like looking at the plans and feeling uncomfortable with it, but you kind of push through it and you figure it out. And that's what Harvard prepared you for. That was like the icing on the cake. I would not say that. <laughs> I would say that was back to being, uh, being raised in Israel. Okay. That gave me a lot. And my parents and the way that you kind of learn how to persevere and how to push through things. I think that was in my character. I think what Harvard taught me was more critical thinking, really good critical thinking is what the best thing that I took away from Harvard. What a yeah. fascinating combo. Yeah. I mean, Dan, your life is a combination of being inspired by amazing parents in a unique part of the world that nurtured you to just keep taking things to the next level and giving you a foundation that spiritually and mentally was as important as anything you'll ever learn about architecture. The difficulty of my experience that they're leaving uh, Israel to come to America was difficult at the time, but I owe my parents a big, 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 big gratitude because they gave me 
they gave me that opportunity. Whether it was a struggle at that point, it was still given to me. And yeah, you know, I, I don't think it's for granted one day. And they nurtured my growth. A lot of, I think, parents were making fun of the situation. They're like, oh, he wants to be an architect. You know, there's no money in doing that. And my, instead of my parents saying, yeah, they're right, my parents would just say, this is what he wants to do. This, he's good at this. Like, what's the problem? Follow your heart uh, and, and they the totally will take care of itself instead of chasing what might be a better career path money-wise. Correct. Yeah, Correct. That's, really, that's the foundation. And, Life's so short that a lot of people learn that lesson on their last breath. Yeah, and my parents gave me that opportunity early on. Yeah, at seven. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and you know what's yeah, you know so, so interesting? What I'm getting out of all of this right now, too, which I think is so... I never, I, I haven't really thought about it in this perspective because it's so interesting to really kind of like get into your mind of how you started. And, but you know, architecture is so important. And I believe it's so important that the architect is not a one trick pony. Like that the architect oh, yeah. doesn't know. You have to live and learn. And the fact that you are a musician, the fact that you are so aware of your surroundings, because it's so easy. And I think that that's what separates you from the rest because there's a lot of technicians out there. And I believe a real architect cannot be just a technician. You have to be you have to be living and breathing and understand what it is to live. And I think it's so... I think looking back, and I think all the best architects that we've had in history, I think if we look back at their story of how interesting and fascinating of a person they are, and, and I think that I'll, that shows every time, and hearing your story is exactly on par with that. Thank you. Big thank you, because I could tell you that I wasn't taken seriously for a lot of times because of that. I always felt that it's just as important to know uh, Britney Spears as it is to know the best architects that there is out there. Sure. I feel like in order to, to practice the best at anything that you do, you have to be current to society, right? You have to understand what is happening in order to interpret that and bring it back. Like, you know, okay, so if we go into music, like why were the Beatles as successful as they were? Yes, mm -hmm. there was the talent of the music, right? But the reality is that they were able to understand what teenagers were going through Imagine that worldwide, not just in Liverpool, but worldwide, right? Yeah. So they understood that and they were able to give that back. And so one of the things that, you know, I've coined in my own years, actually somebody interviewed me like last year, was the term that I call empathetic design. And basically it's kind of figuring out what is your client or brand or whoever it is that you're working with, what are they trying to get at, out of this? And how can you be the best tool possible to represent that in the most easy way. And that's kind of, I think, been the success for, for DBA. It's kind of figuring out what our client needs, answering that demand and answering it without strain, right? Without making it look like, oh, we did all this. So it's the minimal amount of effort in order to get there. Well, I mean, it's exactly what you're saying is an art form because most people don't know what they want, but mm -hmm. they know what they don't want. And so yep. that leaves you with a huge, wide open playing field about delivering them what they want, which is they don't know what they want until you show it to them. So it's really... Yeah, exactly. 
I mean, that becomes like a very, you know, like a very interesting thing. And, you know, I want to just, as you were saying, the Beatles, you know, and how they did with it, which is, I love that comparison, is um, I saw Rocket Man the other day. And do you have, I mean, like you see, okay, we all know Elton John, Elton John's brilliant, but without, without Bernie, there's no Elton. Do you mm-hmm. a lone ranger or do you have a collaborative process that helps you that you've found or is it all you? Um, it's never all me. The, answering it to say all me would be the most egocentric thing to ever, you know, <laughs> it requires a team. It requires a vision and that, that vision you could say is all me. Okay. That's the beginning part yeah. and to be able to carry that vision through. Right. And that's like the maestro, but there's no chance in hell that anything that I got done in any of my career was just me. No way. You know, I have an incredible team of, uh, people working at our office at DBA. I have, uh, incredible contractors that I rely on. I have incredible vendors that I deal with, people in the city. It's, it's a team. It's, it's everybody down the line. It also requires, by the way, the vision of the client. We talked about, about that at the beginning. You know, it's like, I could, I could make the most masterful thing in the world, but in the end, I have to deal with it being a commission. Unlike an artist that does do commission and does their own work, an architect does solely commission our whole existence relies on somebody else's belief and trust in you and being able to carry that through. And if you don't have that, then you won't be able to ever get to that point. Right. So we're constantly in that, in, in, yeah, in that circle. It's incredible because it is, it's, it is such, it's, it's like orchestrate. It's like the commanding the orchestra to, to sort of like play and, 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 I think that that is, you are like a conductor and the visionary and the conductor, and you really need to have the right people around you and that you, that you trust and you work well with. I mean, it it shows with everything, whether you're building a house. And here's the amazing thing that you, when I listen to the story of your life and how the path that you formed based on the mentoring, the love, the support, the guidance, the experiences that you were given and, or not just really given, but were brought to you by by the most important people in your life and, and others along the way. It reads like a symphony. I was in a symphony. I was in the Greater Boston Youth Symphony Orchestra for two years oh at the breeding ground. Right. We used to practice and, and rehearse at, at Boston University in the uh, in the uh, the hall. And um, the point is that having that much experience and working under amazing conductors and playing music that's centuries old, that uh, is iconic to say the least. I had, I got a lot of experience in symphony and symphonic music. And of course, a lot of my fellow musicians went on to join the Boston symphony, Tanglewood, et cetera. My point is that listening to your story and the way you've lived it feels to me like a brilliant symphony with all of these crescendos and pianissimo and fortissimo and, and just this, this really amazing life that, you, that yes, you've been given opportunities, but you created so much out of them. And you've taken inspiration from architecture and music and fused it in a way that it's realized through your architectural genius, but it comes from these places that aren't so apparent unless someone gets to know you. So on behalf of Justin Lee and myself, I want to say thank you for being on the show. And I hope our audience has gotten to know you a little bit more because Dan Bruin, you're amazing. Dan Bruin amazing. Architecture is your firm. And thank you for being on life. Thank you so much, oh, Dan. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. And uh, I take it seriously. Let's do a bridge house tour. 
I'm there. So uh, right when we finish this, I'm uh, we're we're going to connect. And, and I'm coming. Okay, great. <laughs> I, I believe me, Justin Lee and I have been brothers for over well over ten years. In who's counting? And yeah. when he says that, he means it. So uh, I'll have to do a face because I'll be yeah, in yeah. Miami. So. This is Justin Lee. Dan Bruhn's been our esteemed guest. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to LIFE Life, Luxury, and Full Effect. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening. Head on over to luxuryandfulleffect.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover more content. Until next time. Until next time.